installment in that series. And the, the topic was church discipline and the need for the body of Christ to deal appropriately and biblically with the issue of sin as it touches and affects the fellowship that we are in together. Uh, I began in, in preparing for that to just to get a little bit of a different sense about that message and how I felt the weight of it. And in sharing it last week, um, I just didn't feel released from it. And if you were here last week, I heard from a number of folks, talked to several of the leaders in the church, and heard from folks in the church. There were, there were many folks who just felt like last week was a little bit of an unusual gathering with God. And I believe it was because that issue that was addressed last week about the presence of God amongst his people is a critical issue that I think God is wanting us to draw some attention to. So rather than us just continue in the series that we had been following and felt led by the Lord, uh, I feel the Lord wants us to spend some time learning and studying in the realm of understanding the presence of God in the midst of his people. And I want to highlight the importance of that. We'll probably, I don't know how many weeks, I'm, just, I'm not going to say weeks. Peter makes fun of me when I don't end up going as many weeks as I say we'll go. I don't know how long we'll stay in this topic, okay? Uh, this was not a series that we had planned on doing. Uh, we're just responding to some promptings from the Spirit of God. And so we could be in this for two more weeks. We could be in this for two more months. I, I don't know. But I, I will say this, and this is a concern I have. It's a concern for the body of Christ, and we would not be exempt from it. I think the presence of God, based on the character of God, is a foreign component to the body of Christ. I think when meetings are occurring, whether they are small meetings or large meetings, but meetings that are intended to gather the people of God for the purpose of meeting with God, I don't know that we're really on top of whether we meet with God. I don't know that we leave meetings with a sense of, have I met with God today? And if that doesn't matter to us, then, then, then we're missing the purpose for these meetings. You know, everything, everything involved in our lives, the, the relationships, the activities, you go to work, you come home, you eat dinner, you, you hang out, you have friends, that's not all intended to be some cathartic moment where we're meeting with God every moment. It's not intended to be that way. But there are moments where God intends that we are together to meet with him. We're going to see a word used today in the scripture, a solemn assembly. That's what the church was in the Old Testament. It was a solemn assembly. It was an assembly with a purpose. We're here today to meet with God. Now I want to tell you, in this room, it is possible that some here will meet with God and others will not. You know, it's not as though, you know, everybody recognizes the move of God the same way. And this is, this is a concern I would have for us. I hope you'll put yourself in the crosshairs. You don't need to turn to these passages. I'm just getting us prepared for this morning. Uh, Daniel chapter 10. It's a moment where Daniel has been living his life toward the face of God for 21 days. He's been praying. He's been fasting. He's waiting on God. And, and God is going to respond to his, his pursuit and openness and going to send the angel Gabriel to him. He says, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphos around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. Now you got one guy who's going to encounter God and going to receive something from God that is critical for his life and for the future of his people. And you have other men who are with him who don't see what he sees. Do you understand? Everybody can be in this room this morning. And some may encounter God and some may not. But see, this is the tabernacle of the place of God. It is the place where God wants to meet with us. And, but categorically, and you can go all throughout the Bible. 
John chapter 12 says in verse 27, Jesus speaks to this crowd, says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Do you understand? This was the same crowd. They all interacted in the same setting with God doing something. The same thing. He did one thing. And in that crowd, you had some people who barely noticed anything. Some people, the only thing they could tune into was just some noise. And it must have been thunder. The voice of an angel has spoken. Do you understand? Everybody didn't have the same encounter. The same God showed up. In the same way, and not everybody encountered him. Welcome to church. That can happen this morning. I guarantee you, it is happening this morning. It would, it would, not, be, uh, it would not be beyond the realm of possibility that somebody right now could stand up and could say, did, did you sense God this morning, just now? Did you? He was all, like, you didn't, you didn't sense God doing, saying, being? And, and for some of us just to be here going, uh, no. I've been in meetings like that. You may have been in this one last week. There were a number of people last week that thought this was not a normal week. Now you're here back. You may have said, I was here last week. I thought it was pretty normal. You understand? Not everybody encounters God the same way. A number of years ago, <clears throat> in our church, God, God turned our church changed the leadership of our church, really changed the direction of our church. And I remember, God had been doing a number of things leading up to that, but there was a particular morning, I was not preaching, uh, another pastor who's no longer here was preaching, preached the message. When he was done, I remember we had, we had two services before we had added on to the building, we had two services going on. In between, we had a Sunday school class, and I remember going and finding him before I went to teach my class. And and I just had this sense of God in the meeting that morning. And I pulled him aside and I said, man, I don't, I don't think this is a one message uh, deal. I, and he, he I'm, I'm sensing God, I'm feeling God is, God is doing something. Did you, I asked him, Do you, did you sense the presence of God this morning? He, he looked at me like I was wearing two hats backwards. Uh, no. And a few moments later, which I guess made him, his head spin a little bit, Peter comes up to him a few moments later and says the same thing to him. He and I hadn't even had a conversation together. And he, he didn't sense it. And we did end up doing about seven weeks of messages in that area. And I don't know if the other pastor did any of them. So you can be in this meeting this morning and not encounter God sitting right next to somebody else who's encountering God. So I, I have a concern for us that I think we need some help from God in pursuing the presence of God, in perceiving the presence of God, and in receiving the presence of God. So I'm going to steer off course from our series this morning. I'd like for you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. title this morning is, is The Effects of Encountering God. And I want us to look at a couple of individuals that we're going to get a chance to look at lessons from their encounters with God. Their encounters are not the same. Their encounters are different, but they both reveal something about God. And if our pursuit of God is based on bad information about God, it's based on bad understanding about God, we don't we don't relate to God the way God shows himself to us. We're therefore looking to receive from God in categories that God doesn't show up that way. Or we're not realizing God does show up in this way. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm facing west instead of facing east. And I'm not encountering God. And I'm missing the presence of God. Remember what Moses said as we looked at last week. For Moses, the presence of God was the key ingredient. Not just covenant with God. The people of God were in covenant with God. Moses knew that. But when God indicated that his presence would not go with him up from Sinai, 
Moses called timeout. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I, I know there's been a play called, but timeout. Wait a minute. Uh, wait, wait, God, did I, did I just understand you that your presence would not be going with us? Because if that's the case, then, then don't send us. Because what makes us a distinct people is your presence. This morning, what makes this meeting distinct is the presence of God. What, what comes to our lives in the seasons of wherever we are and touches us and brings to us a sense of conviction about sin, is there an issue of sin this morning that we are in need of being convicted about? It's the presence of God that brings that. You want to deal casually with the issue of sin? Then encounter the presence of people in place of the presence of God. Encounter people who you think are the holiest people you've ever been around. And you will at best receive a casual conviction about your own sin. Meeting people is not the same as meeting God. You have an issue in your life that you need fresh faith or hope or an ability to get up and be motivated to go into and walk into that. Well, you can listen to a self-help tape and read a book, go attend some seminar. You can be in this meeting this morning. You can listen to somebody who's excited. That's not the same as the presence of God touching you and giving you fresh faith to launch out into that area. What makes us distinct is the presence of God and what his presence accomplishes in our midst and in our lives. Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Now go back to verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now let's, let's look for a moment. This year, this this event, this reference point that Isaiah points to. Who is King Uzziah? Well, turn back, if you'll take a left here and go back several books to Second Chronicles chapter twenty six. Everybody turn. Second Chronicles chapter twenty six. Hopefully you are reading from your own Bible this morning that you have brought with you. Page pages bent, stuff stuffed in it, writing all over it. Second Chronicles, and you'll need to maybe keep a finger there back in Isaiah, because we will be returning to Isaiah. Second Chronicles, Chronicles is a historic book that is helping us to understand God's dealings with his people. And so it's going to tell us about their leaders, about the ins and outs of goings on. At this particular moment, we're going to hear about King Uzziah, verse 1 of chapter 26. It says, And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. 
And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So in the year of King Uzziah, in this moment in the history of Israel, Isaiah is a prophet awakened by God and called by God. Now the prophets, if you want to give them a functional title in the Old Testament, the prophets, I don't know what I would liken them to today. They were, they were part policemen, part attorney. Um, when the prophets showed up, they weren't just these gunslinging guys who just said whatever, whatever wild idea came into their head, they just blasted people with it. The prophets were representing God who had entered into covenant with the people of God. Remember that covenant got spelled out at Sinai, the meeting we talked about last week. And God spells out all these arrangements with his people and he clearly says, listen, I'm going to be your God and I'm going to be in the midst of you. Uh, If you do these things, this is how it will go for you. If you do these things, this is how it will go for you. There will be blessings and there will be curses. If you want it to go well with you, Honor the covenant that we make today. Now, if you do not honor the covenant that we make today, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. Oh, when the prophets are showing up, the prophets are simply showing up with this list. And they don't come with fresh ideas saying, hmm, how about a famine? You guys don't want to do this thing right? How about a famine? Well, they're just reading from the script. The covenant said, if you don't honor God, the heavens are going to be like brass and going to withhold their rain and their supply from you. So when the prophet shows up, He's got a word from God based on the covenant that that they've entered into. So Isaiah is showing up. It's about 740 B.C. at this point. King Uzziah is is a man who, in the beginning here, is going to start off righteously reigning over the people of Israel. And God is blessing this man. And God is blessing the nation of Israel. Israel has had a history of wandering. From one king to the next, they would wander in their affections from God. And each time they did, they began to incorporate the practices of the culture around them into their lives. And so they went from being a precious people of God to living amongst the kingdoms of this world and beginning to absorb the ideas of the kingdoms of this world into their own practice. And their affections would begin to wander. And they'd begin to want what it looked like the idols of that country were providing for those people. And they'd want that. They'd like that technique. They'd like some of the, the, the pleasure dynamics of the sin that was being promoted in other countries. They'd be drawn to that. There was, there was, there's pleasure in sin. So th- this country began to have affections in other places besides just God. Now, it wasn't as though they abandoned God, but they began to develop some desires outside of God in addition to God. And so there's a, there's a time of incredible prosperity. If you lead, read chapter 26 there, you find Uzziah is a man who has incredible wealth. He has an incredible army. They are, they are decked out, armored. He has fashioned armor for them. He, this is a man who's building. He's, he's, he's the Donald Trump of kings. He's building towers in various places around the country. There are vineyards and crops and herds. That God has blessed these guys. But something's going to happen here. And this particular story is extremely helpful for us because that description is a description of an American life. Uzziah was king over an American country. Very wealthy, very prosperous, able to defeat its enemies, a time of great favor. And it's in those times that sometimes we lower our guard. And prosperity brings with it what I would call the the persecution of prosperity. Prosperity can be a vicious persecutor. Matt preached a message a few weeks ago. He talked about the, the place in which we live, the time frame that it's not the same as the first century. And for believers in the first century who faced persecution, a decision for Christ was a life-threatening decision. It's not the country we live in now. But I think that the enemy has managed to figure an ability to bring persecution, that pressure that opposes the purpose of God and his people, through prosperity. Now, all of us are familiar with this. Before we go trashing Uzziah here in a moment, all of us know the reality that when things go well with us, everything's fallen in place, 
Relationships are all cool. Finances are just great. It just seems to be blessing after blessing after blessing. If you would do a graph of your spirituality in those seasons, I would bet many of us would find those are seasons of spiritual decline. We pursue God less. We're not as hungry for him. We're not desperate, right? How many of us really know that our prayer lives really become very healthy when we get desperate? Stuff goes really bad. We're afraid of the future. We don't know how we're going to make it to the end of the month. We don't know if this relationship's going to survive. It's going to fall apart. There's a health crisis going on. There's challenges in our economy. You know, in those moments, we crawl into the prayer closet and begin to pursue God. But when everything goes well, we, we tend to suffer from, uh, I, don't, I don't need to go to God as hard today. I don't need to pursue him as much today. I think things are going well. God, thank you for the blessing. This is great. Next thing you know, our affections begin to wander as well. And, and we're not with God as much, and other things are with us more. And that's what happens to Uzziah. In the midst of all of his success, watch what happens here in verse 16. Now, this, this would bring us about to the point where Isaiah is going to come on the scene, in the year that King Uzziah died. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. And Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out, because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. This man forfeited the presence of God. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. I I say that in highlighting that, statement because most of us would feel most sorry for this man um, because he didn't get to be king anymore because he couldn't live in the house that he was a part of no no he forfeited the presence of God in his actions how did this man get here how did he travel to a place where he would approach God on his own terms That's what Uzziah did. He became puffed up in all this prosperity and all that was going well for him. He began to think he was somebody. What's interesting, though, is in thinking he was somebody, he didn't didn't abandon the worship of God. He's just polluted it. And that's very important. Because, see, we can be very deceived that if we haven't abandoned the worship of God, then we're really okay. We may have polluted the worship of God. And we come to gatherings like this on our own terms, in our own ways. This quote from Ray Ortland, he says, actually you can't look at it, but we'll put it up. I think we have it. Uzziah's reign was long and prosperous. God lavished success on his people, but they didn't handle it well. They continued to affirm the traditional faith. Listen to that. They continued to affirm the traditional faith, but God himself became unreal to them. The whole nation followed the king into complacency. Now, go back to Isaiah. And turn to the beginning of Isaiah. Listen to Isaiah's initial words. And he speaks in Isaiah chapter 1. Listen to the condition of the nation that has gone through this realm of prosperity to this point now 
where they are disaffection from God. But they have not removed God from their lives completely. Verse 2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Here's God saying, you don't know me. You don't know me. And here's what makes it even more critical for us to understand what God's saying. Skip down to verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. What is most critical here is these people haven't stopped worshiping, have they? They're still praying. They're still bringing incense. They're still bringing sacrifices. And if God doesn't stick his nose in here and say, Stop! Just shut the door. Call it off. If he doesn't do that, they'll just go on thinking, What we're doing is fine. We're honoring God. We're bringing our sacrifices. It's time to pray. Let's go pray. It's time to worship. It's new moon. It's festival. Let's have the festival. Now, by the way, these were all things God asked them to do. So it, it's not that he is displeased because they're doing things that he doesn't like. He's displeased because of the way they are doing it. Verse 16. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What has happened here? What has happened to these people? Listen, there's a reality, and let's not close our eyes to this. There's a reality that when you're a nation living amongst nations, there is, a, there is a gravitational pull, a downward earthly pull of living in this world. And over time, Israel lost its lofty sense of who God was. They had displaced to it. His character had changed before them. The requirements to come, to go through the motions, all that stuff remained. But who God was wasn't known anymore. God says, uh, the ox knows his master, but my people, they don't even know me. Not because... They weren't somewhere on the horizon. The landscaping of God wasn't there in their lives. But they didn't know the character of God any longer. And they brought iniquity into solemn assembly. Now, this is, this is what Uzziah did as well. And when Uzziah comes, see, Uzziah has... Has called, God, he sees God as less. Now, he's less careful. There's less trembling. He knows the priests are the only ones who are allowed to burn incense before God. He knows that. It's clear. It's part of the covenant that God made. 
Uzziah, he wants to do that too. He wants what he wants. He wants to do it his own way. And he walks into the presence of God in a manner that was unworthy. And God strikes this man with leprosy. For all practical purposes, this man's life is over. If you were a leper in that day, you would be removed from society. You would have very little contact at all with anyone in order to avoid you infecting others. That's quite a, quite a response from God. Remember a story in Leviticus chapter 10 where God had consecrated the priest and he said, the priest shall approach me. It says this in chapter 10, verse 1. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans, similar scene. After putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord. Right? Do we understand the presence of the Lord here? Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. These are Aaron's sons. This is the priesthood's first few steps. And Moses said to Aaron, it is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me. Do you understand this nearness dynamic? Do you understand? We're talking presence of God. We're talking hanging out with God. By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. So Aaron, therefore, kept silent. You just, you know, you just don't play with coming before the presence of God. Not biblically, you don't. And yet, here is a people, here's a people, Uzziah is an example, who have somehow diminished God. God is not one to be feared. God is not one to be careful about. Diminish God. And I think the key is, what we read about Uzziah, for him in particular, was it said that when he became strong, that was, the, that was his downfall. It was, it was his own greatness. When man becomes the focal point, when man becomes great, when we become great in our own eyes, I think that's what I'm going to call the, the seesaw of greatness. You gotta, on, on one end of this seesaw is the greatness of God, and on the other end is the greatness of man. And whichever way this thing tilts, the other one responds in our lives. When I become great in my own eyes and man becomes great in our own eyes, the greatness of God becomes diminished. And the other side of that is when God is perceived in his greatness, then the opinion of my greatness is diminished as well. But one's going to be great or the other. And Uzziah, Uzziah became great in his own eyes and he became casual about the greatness of God in that moment. And listen, be warned. Uzziah, Uzziah is, is the American president. Uzziah is living in a land like ours. Be warned that in America, uh, we live in a land that thinks we are the greatest. We're the greatest country. We have the greatest technology. We have the greatest health, uh, medicines, and science-related issues. We have the greatest wealth in all the country, and all the world. We, we can do things that no one else can. We have a very unique opinion about ourselves. Now, maybe that doesn't directly translate into me individually going, uh, America's great. I live in America. I'm great, too. Now, maybe I don't particularly do that, but see, there is a gravitational pull of living amongst the people. You live around people who think they're great, you're going to battle with thinking you're great. People, we, we are so man-centered. We are so aware, as we looked last week at the quote from uh, John MacArthur, The Vanishing Conscience. We are so aware of everything that has to do with us. We have studied ourselves up one side and down the other. We know all things about us. We know every need that we have. We make sure God knows every need that we have. We have majored in who we are. We have minded in who God is. That's because we live in a country that majors in man and minors in anything that has to do with God. And that's all over us.
And yet somehow in this country, God is getting pulled into this equation. God, you're, you're welcome to, to be a part of our lives. Isn't that nice of us? We're going to include God. God, you can, you can come be a part of this. And therefore, what it means to approach this holy God is being misinformed on a regular basis. I had to do a little research here because, I mean, I can remember years ago watching, uh, say, like the Grammy Awards, Music Awards. And you'd have people come up to receive their awards. I saw in the last couple of years there was two individuals that particularly stuck out in this category. There was some these uh, rapper group. They were female rapper groups. One of them called Little Kim. The other one was, was Destiny's Child. Now, these are individual groups that sing about some of the most ungodly things you could possibly come up with. You know, the attitude of arrogance and anger is embodied in these individuals. Uh, from the news picture of these guys receiving their awards, they look like they should have been in a lingerie show instead of standing on TV before a public audience dressed the way they were dressed. But yet what came out of their mouths as they received their award was, I just would like to thank God uh, for all that he's done in my life. And uh, some of them would go as far as to thank Jesus Christ. They had one particular show where a couple of years ago, the host, the guy who was hosting the show, his wife before the show said, if you can't sing your song or perform your work in church, then don't stand up here and thank God. Good for her. Of course, Destiny's Child got up and said, I know you said that, but, and went ahead and thanked God anyway. The other night, I'm, I'm, I'm watching the end of the Dallas Cowboy football game. And they're going to interview Terrell Owens. Terrell Owens is probably the most focused on athletes in the last year and a half. Uh, he is an obnoxious individual. He is a prima donna. He thinks he is, is a gift to humanity. Uh, that he's been kicked off one team, benched. Uh, he's in the media constantly. He's throwing tantrums on the sidelines. And after the game, he just wants to thank God for how God is blessing his life. Now, you know, here's a guy who, here's two priests who offer strange fire who are dead. Here's Uzziah who thinks he just, you know, he doesn't want to curse God. He wants to play a role that's not his to play. He wants to offer fire before the presence of God and he's struck with leprosy. Do you understand? We have a bunch of people that don't know God. These guys didn't know God. We live in a land that doesn't know God. Oh, I feel for our young people. You know, if you can just throw Jesus into a lyric, you're a Christian today. Oh, I could run off on that one. I won't. Oh, but they, they said Jesus. He said Jesus. Does this person even know Jesus? Do you understand? Jesus is a word. Jesus is a bunch of letters. J-E-S-U-S say it in a foreign language, it'll mean just as much to you. Jesus is a person. Jesus is speaking in Isaiah chapter 1. My people don't know me. Close the doors. Many of those people would never even be indoors. That would have anything to do with God, but yet Jesus is part of their lives. Listen, this, this is grossly inaccurate about who God is. And yet we live in that culture. We're the church living in that culture. And today, we came to meet with God. I hope we didn't come to meet with that God. Because we may be very surprised by who this God is versus who that God is being portrayed to be. We live in that culture. It's a casual culture. It's an arrogant culture. And it's getting in us wonder, how do we approach this God? We don't know this God. The church today doesn't know God. And we keep offering and doing and it, and it falls woefully short of respecting God for who he is. A.W. Tozer
so that a person who has sensed what Isaiah sensed will never be able to joke about the man upstairs or the, the someone up there who likes me. One of the movie actresses who still prowled around the nightclubs after her supposed conversion to Christ was quoted as telling someone, you ought to know God. You know, God is just a living doll. I read where another man said, God is a good fellow. I confess that when I hear or read these things, I feel a great pain within. My brother or sister, there is something about our God that is different, that is beyond us, that is above us, that is transcendent. We're not dealing with our neighbor here. Do you understand the character I was driving in this morning? Listening to a song about the cross. You know, and, and we may not like the idea that Uzziah walks into the presence of God and, surprise, Uzziah, here, you have leprosy and your life is over. Nadab and Abihu color outside the lines and consumed and their life is over. We may not like that, but can you stand at the foot of the cross for a moment? And can you make sure you get this in your mind? God didn't throw a temper tantrum on Nadab and Abihu. God didn't throw a tantrum when Uzziah walked in with a fire pan and a role he wasn't given to play. This is not God being like one of us. Little hothead, little blow up on people, and now they're dead. You understand, God is a consuming fire. That's what he is. When you stand at the foot of the cross, do you see a God throwing a temper tantrum? Or do you see who God is killing his own son? Because it's who he is. Do you understand the son of God had to die? He had to die. If there would ever be a moment of forgiveness, the wrath that Nadab and Abihu and anybody else touched when you got close to God, you got close to his righteousness and the response of a God who is like he is, who is transcendent, who is not like we are. When he comes in contact with sin, he will consume it with his righteous fury. And he didn't spare his own son. That's who God is. He's not putting on an act. It's who he is when his being comes in contact. When fire touches dry kindling, it ignites. It's who God is. And yet we're called to worship him. Uzziah acted in response to the God he knew. He ended up worshiping God his own way rather than God's way. Note when our view of God becomes diminished, our worship of God and our response to God become diminished as well. The church is suffering from today is a desperation to see God for who he really is. Listen to this. This is a quote has several parts to it. A book that Bill just passed to me. I've been enjoying reading by a man. I appreciate Bill Hall. He says... In my years as a pastor, I've seen a lot of self-inflicted wounding in the church. That is deeply troubling. So many choose not to live in the power of the Spirit. In fact, it is highly unusual when Christians return good for evil, bless those who curse them, pray for those who use them. The works of the flesh are easier to find than the fruit of the Spirit. Gossip is rampant, and so is the tendency to believe the worst of others. Very few of us share our faith or honor God with 10% of our income. Fewer still are devoted to prayer and the spiritual disciplines. Such activities as listening prayer, fasting, solitude, silence, and scriptural meditation are considered practices for only the elite. How much longer will we allow people to think sin management is acceptable? I raise the white flag of surrender to my sin. I just sin and confess, sin and confess, sin and confess without expecting victory. We have said by our actions that carnal Christianity is acceptable. 
We have downgraded the norm. It is no longer taking up one's cross daily in an act of self-denial. We go after hot sins of adultery and other sexual crimes, but we think, but we wink at people who gossip, slander, and hoard. People can be control freaks with selfish ambition and lead lives of worry and fear, and we look the other way. In fact, often these very people are our pastors, elders, and respected members. Now, do you understand? This is out of place with who God is. These are points to wrestle with. These are points to overcome. These are points to press through. These are not points to accept in the presence of God. And every person who leads, every pastor better hear the realities of this. No, no leader gets to escape treating God as common. And Uzziah led well for many years. Moses led incredibly for many years. But he treated God as common on the day that in public God said, speak to the rock. And Moses struck the rock. And he dishonored God. And you remember what happened to Moses? Here's a man who, who he owned these people. He owned Israel in his heart. God God, don't remove your presence from us. God, if you're going to blot them out, blot my name out. Remember Moses praying for his people? And he's leading them out of bondage into the promised land, and he doesn't get to take them in. King David, a man after God's own heart, sins with a woman named Bathsheba, and the judgment of God falls on his household, and the baby dies. Listen, you, you don't treat God as common. I don't know where we got this idea from. He's not common. He's God. He's to be feared. He's one to tremble at. Now, let me contrast. Go back to Isaiah chapter 6 now. And let's contrast for a moment Isaiah's encounter with God. And what we'll see here is, is we want what Isaiah received as a result of encountering God. We want what Isaiah received. We don't want Uzziah's experience in encountering God. We want Isaiah's. Alec Motyer says, The initial vision of God in all his glory in the temple colored Isaiah's whole mission. He had seen God as the Holy One of Israel, and he never forgot it. He had seen human sin for the appalling thing it is, never forgot that either. And you remember this scene? Go back to Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. This is, this is another one of those Mount Sinai sceneries. This is a place Isaiah, has. he's getting a glimpse of God. He never has seen God this way. And around, I don't know if we can even get our minds around this because John actually says that the, the, the seraphim around the throne, there are myriad of myriads, thousands and thousands of them. So whatever he's seeing, this wasn't like there was these two seraphim flying around, you know. Wow, look at those two guys. And there was God sitting on a throne by himself and nothing else. As far as the eye could see, there was a crowd surrounding the throne of God and they were all responding to the presence of God. And there were these beings that they would have scared the tar out of you by themselves. But their attention is absorbed on God and they are, they are groaning out and pleading out of their beings, holy, holy. And you can hear the echo. You can hear the tone of it. You can hear the myriad of voices for as far as Isaiah can see. Can you imagine what Isaiah must be experiencing as he tries to relate this to us. 
Listen, I'm gonna, I want to go through a couple of points here real quickly. When, when, when God gets encountered, the, the first thing that Moses, uh, that Isaiah makes us aware of is the awe of the presence of God. In the presence of God, there is a sense of awe. There is an amazement. There is dazzlement in our hearts. And awe, being in awe, is, is, it is jet fuel for the Christian life. My, when my worship is in awe of God, there's, there's amazement, there's, there's enjoyment, there's intrigue, there's adventure in following Him. <coughs> Too much of Christianity today is trying to be done without a sense of awe. We don't, have an, we don't have a sense of awe with God. We meet, we don't sense awe. Maybe some do, many do not. We try and live a life without a sense of awe. I'm telling you, you can't do it. Acts 2.42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers, four excellent things to examine our own lives and light up. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. A sense of awe when they were together. The people of God gathered and met met with God and awe was in their midst. Now listen to what awe turns into. It fuels radical lives. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. That's the presence of God. God brings that favor. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Listen, where there's no awe, there's no awesome Christianity either. If we're not in awe of God, I guarantee you, we won't do very many awesome things for God. We won't risk it. Isaiah 6, verse 5. He encounters this setting and he says, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In this, in this moment, Isaiah falls under profound conviction. When he, when he stands in the presence of God, he becomes aware of his own sin. Woe is me. I am, I am undone. I am a man of unclean. I am aware of my uncleanness. It, it, you know, it is like looking into, you know, those, those mirrors with the lights around them and they're flipped over backwards and everything gets enlarged. You ladies ever look in those mirrors? Does anybody like what they see when they look in those mirrors? I mean, I might, the pores in my skin look like oil wells have been there and been drilling there. It's, it's just, it's a horrible experience. You, you, and then you think, well, okay, that's a mirror and there's light on me and I'm just seeing more of me. So this really is what I look like. This is sort of what he's experiencing. He gets a glimpse of himself in that setting like he's never seen himself before because he's in a presence of God. You can stand next to a person and see yourself one way, but when you stand next to the presence of God, you will see yourself differently. You will be aware of the presence of sin in your own life. A.W. Tozer said, It should help us to be concerned about the quality of our worship when we consider that Isaiah's reaction was a feeling of absolute profaneness in the presence of the moral purity of the divine being. Consider that Isaiah was a commendable young man. This guy's not a sluggard. He was cultured, religious, and a cousin of the king. He would have made a good deacon in any church. But here Isaiah was an astonished man. He was struck with awe. His whole world suddenly dissolving into a vast eternal brightness. He was pinned against that brightness, red and black, the colors of sin. I think, I think this, this really helps. This helps me. I hope it helps you. With the level of awareness of my own sin. 
Are you aware of your own sin? Because if you know if I'm not, it may say something about the presence of God in my life. How diminished it is. How I've gone from the brightness of the sun to a four-watt night lamp that I plug in. And I call that the light of God in my life. And I look and I'm not, I'm not doing too bad. You know? I don't really, really feel really convicted about much in my life. You know, it's interesting how in touch we can be with everybody else's sin and not with our own. Be very aware of how others around us are falling short, are selfish. Their actions are costing me somehow. I'm very aware of that. Can be very bothered even righteously by the slackers in the church. People aren't pulling their load. People who aren't praying. People who aren't doing very aware. Yeah, I don't know how some of us responded to the news of Ted Haggard's fall and uh, you know, whether that was caused us to have a sense of anger about us, angry at this man. How dare you? How could you do that? I would have responded that way at some point. I would have. I didn't this time. And I'll tell you why I think I didn't. I think where I was years ago in responding that way uh, was I, I, I didn't know as much about what Tozer described as standing myself in the presence of God. See, I can stand in the presence of God and, and I understand what he says, red and black. Now I'm not living in some hidden immorality that no one knows about. Do you understand? When you stand in the presence of God, it doesn't take hideous sin, hideous in the eyes of man, to realize your sin is hideous before God. Now, when I, when I heard about Ted Haggard's situation, I, I was grieved. I was grieved for the name of the Lord. I was grieved for the people in that church who had, at this moment, they're having to struggle through their views of God's ability to be victorious in a person's life, a diminished view of the power of God. I was grieved for them, and I was grieved for this man. And uh, I spent several days just really praying and spending time with the Lord. And uh, I, I will say this, I don't know what leads to one's demise like that, what, what steps were taken, what Hopefully that'll be something that other leaders will benefit from. This man will be able to help people understand what steps were taken that fueled the, the fires of sin that made them to have the power that they did over his life. But I, I tell you, uh, I was grateful as I have spent time with the Lord on a regular basis. I'm grateful for the moments of real interaction with God where I have a sense, my prayer time, probably always starts with an awareness of how I didn't measure up today, God. Even the things, even the meeting I had with this person, shared this with them, but God, I know there was better wisdom than that. I'm sure there was. God, I studied, I spent time praying. I, I could have I done better. But I preached that that could have been a better message. God, I fall short of your glory. I stand in your presence and I'm aware of the spots that are all over me the thoughts that I had towards this situation or that, the lack of faith, the questioning. And, you know, those, those realms, when you stand in the presence of God, you find out you've got spots all over you. And I don't know how you feel about conviction. I hope you don't feel antagonistic about it. I hope you don't. I hope you don't. I, I hope you don't respond poorly to having somebody stand in a pulpit and make you aware of your need for repentance. You will not find a finer friend who will help you with that. If you understand what we talked about last week, the leaven of sin, that it's going to consume your whole life, the most gracious thing that could ever happen is for God to come in his grace and convict you with his presence of your sin. Hopefully you're not here this morning thinking, well, you know, 
I just, I just think I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, I, I mean, I know I'm not perfect or anything, but I just think I'm a pretty good guy. Can I just tell you, you don't know the presence of God. If those thoughts float around in you, I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm trying to tell you, I've lived and I've walked, and, and I can say right now, I don't know much about the presence of God. I'll tell you that right now. But if we're unaware of, of our need for the grace of God, it's because we're unaware of the presence and the person of God. Conviction is a gift from God. Humility. This man in Isaiah chapter 6 becomes a very humble man. I'm a man of unclean lips. and I, I live amongst the people of unclean lips. There's, there's, no, there's no arrogance going on in this, this presence before God. Matt, let me go ahead and let you come back up here. You know, think of think for a moment. Are you are you a complainer? Just show you the presence of some issues in our lives. Because sometimes we think, oh, well, you know, I think I'm a pretty humble person. Do you complain much? I mean, just categorically, life's not going your way. Somebody didn't respond the right way. You had to wait in line too long. You complain, because complaining is an acknowledgement that I don't deserve this. This is not the way I should be treated. I mean, if you were the servant, the lowest, the scum, and you had to wait five minutes extra at McDonald's, don't you deserve that? I mean, come on. You're, you're low life. If anybody should wait, you ought to wait. Of all the people who should be waiting at McDonald's, it's you. But see, we don't feel that way about ourselves. I don't deserve to be waiting in this line. I deserve life to treat me better than this. That's arrogance. It is a lack of humility. And it highlights a lack of the presence of God in my life. Um, are, you, are you a jealous person? You battle with jealousy? You notice other people, how they're better than you, and you wish you were that way. And oh, Why couldn't I have that? Why didn't I do that? Do, do you know what's in you that wants that? Self-advancement. Your own glory. See, I, I want to be great. I want to be great in the I want to be good at that. Why? Because I, I just like to be known as being great at something. That person's better than me at it. They're going to get noticed. I'm not going to get noticed, and I'm so mad about that. You understand, this is not humility. We can think we're humble people when there's jealousy and complaining. We're not humble people. It highlights a lack of the presence of God. We're one of those people who strategically figures out how to make us significant in every moment. You know, we, can, we converse about things we've done, and highlighting who we know, and we were there. Yeah, just, you know. You didn't need to know that, but just wanted you to know, yeah, I was there. Mm -hmm. uh, and we figure out ways to say it. See, it, it's a craving in us. It's not humility. You know, two things that happen here in the end here for Isaiah is he's aware of this. And this, I, I end on a happier moment. In the moment of God's presence where he is, he is undone, he is ruined, my life is over, I'm in the presence of God, is when he discovers the forgiveness of God as well. And the angel goes over and picks up tongs and says, yeah, Isaiah, that's true. Because of what I do, you are no longer unclean. See, it's, it's in the presence of God, it's not just all woe and woe is me. It's not just that. It's amazement and forgiveness. This guy walks in arrogant, unaware. What's up, God? Yeah, I mean, it's great to be here. I know you feel it's great for me to be here too. It's great. You know, I had a meeting this morning, but I canceled it just, just for you, big guy. You're the man. You're the man upstairs, baby. Great to be here. Yeah. So, what's up today? What we got? What you gonna, how are you going to work in my life here? Huh? What's, what's going on, man? Uh, and some guy walks over with burning hot tongs to, to stick on your mouth. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, what's up with that, man? Back off with that thing. That's going to burn. I, I'm not interested. Why? Because you're not aware that you need it. In the presence of God, you're aware I need forgiveness. I need the grace of God. Because you've encountered a God that scared you half to death. And look what God does with Isaiah in this moment. Who will go for us? God.
God says. Who will go for us? Isaiah just got scared to death by God. You'd think this man would run as fast as possible away from the presence of God, wouldn't you? But he doesn't. He's inspired. He's motivated. God, here am I, Lord. Send me. Did you read the beginning of Isaiah 1? Send me to those people. Isaiah's volunteering to go to a people that aren't going to like anything he has to say. Here I am, Lord. Send me. I want to go. See, when you encounter God, God will launch you into life. God will give you a desire to do things you never would have wanted to do on your own. And when we lack those desires, when we lack direction, when we lack a heart to do something that's meaningful, it, it gives away something. It gives away a lack of the presence of God in our lives. Now we're going we're gonna to spend the next 30 minutes here worshiping waiting on God entering his presence I hope I felt today we we needed to be more adequately prepared to enter his presence prepared and I thought the preaching the word first was important to help us do that but as you consider your life and I hope what God will do in us is stir up a desire for his presence God I want your presence I know I need your presence in my life. I can't have you as a stranger. I can't have you at a distance. I can't have you as a God of my own making. I need your presence to be in my life. I want to make sure you hear this. Do you understand all the things I just went through, all the little uncomfortable points? We could end up at this moment in application. You're a Christian. You shouldn't be jealous. You're a Christian. You should be humble. Are you complaining? You need to stop complaining. Are you a complainer? Yes, I'm a complainer. Well, you need to not do that. Do you understand? We could go there and we could stop right there. Can we, can we go beyond that? And can we see something? Complaining, arrogance, selfishness, casualness, an economy of worshiping God that doesn't touch our lives much, lack of holiness, we can just be told, stop doing that, or we can realize, if I am doing that, it highlights a lack of the presence of God. Let's fix the right thing here. Let's not just walk out of here under some weight of, of holy obligation that everybody's supposed to now be nicer people. No, I better pray more. Uh, if I don't have a desire to do that, there's no sense of awe in me that I want to go before a God who is awesome. It's because I don't know God. You understand, I'm more desperate than a person who just doesn't have a prayer life. It's worse than that. It's that I don't have a God I'm impressed enough with to pursue. It's much worse. The starting point then needs to be, God, I've gotten busy in my life. I don't know you anymore. Help me, Lord, help me know you. Help me to see you, because I know when I see you, these things will become the effect on my life as well, and I'm going to stand with Isaiah. I say, Lord, here am I. Send me to do whatever, forever, for your glory. Let's stand up together.